And, and it was getting to be very frustrating and I was like, what am I gonna do? And um, she had only been there a year so her schedule wasn't fully booked out and it was a new location and we were building up. And I thought, you know what, I'll get a scribe um, and I'll try to see, you know, for at least a month or so until we can get somebody in here, I'll try to see her patients too. I don't want to cancel her patients. And um, brought somebody in to assist me and I found I was able to see um, almost all of her patients. We didn't have to cancel that many. And if I had somebody in the exam room helping me. And, and you know, I remember being in school and, you know, one an hour was hard to do. And I remember getting out of school those first few years and, you know, 20 in a day, you know, I was, I was proud when I got to 20 a day. And, and I remember having days where I did almost 30. And, you know, my partner and I, after work, would talk to each other and talk about how busy a day it was seeing, you know, 28, uh, what a busy, busy day it was. And now that's a slow day for me. Hello and welcome to the Chris Hole Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with my friend, Dr. Peter Cass. Actually, Peter and I know each other quite a ways back. I would say I probably first met Peter in 2012, 2013, uh, to my recollection. He may not remember it. But anyway, we talked a lot about uh, staffing issues and also how to ramp up your patient schedule and still take really good care of patients um, without without de detracting from the level of services that you can provide. So please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. My patients with Matthew Degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. I want to discuss the MyDay Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be re available in parameters that I want and it needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The MyDay Toric features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market. MyDay Torque now completely mirrors the Biofinity Torque's parameter range. To be clear, if you find the parameter in a Biofinity Torque, you can find it in a MyDay Torque. This Torque lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting. The MyDay material is CooperVision's softest one-day silicone hydrogel lens and features Aquaform technology combining a unique balance of high oxygen permeability and natural wettability. 
The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Toric in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your Cooper Vision representative to get started. Let's let's then talk a little bit about staffing, Peter. How do you go from, uh, I mean, there's a lot in this question, but how do you go from, let's say, seeing 20 patients a day to 50 patients a day? For most people, that's going to be unfathomable. What, yep. what are your kind of keys to that? So like with most things, you probably need to take it one step at a time. And, and like with often with a lot of great ideas, um, it started out of necessity. And so I'm in a medium sized town, um, Beaumont and about an hour 30, the way I drive about an hour from Houston. And, um, and so all the students, when they graduate, I'm, you know, faculty at U, adjunct faculty at U of H teach practice management. And, you know, every year when I ask them, you know, where do you want to practice? You know, how many of you want to practice Austin, Houston, Dallas, like 99 hands go up. And, you know, then how many of you want to practice outside of Austin, Houston, Dallas? And like, you know, one hand goes up and, you know, they probably want to be in a big city in another state. Um, And so it's very hard to get docs to um, medium sized towns and even harder to get docs into kind of rural towns. And. Um, and so I had what I thought was, and you the, consider Beaumont rural, not rural, medium size. So it's medium about 120. Okay. Um, and it's, it's nearly impossible to get them into rurals. Like you're talking, you know, 7,000, yeah, 10,000, like the East Texas, East Texas towns. Um, you know, I've had lots of my colleagues call me and like, Hey, can you talk to the students for me? Um, and they've had some very attractive offers, but, um, you know, the, the students just aren't biting. I, I reviewed an offer. Um, for a, a smaller town, um, smaller rural town, uh, just last weekend, it was, it was 180,000 first year mm-hmm. out, um, mm-hmm. with a 50,000 sign on bonus and a $10,000, um, and a $10,000 allowance Jeez. for movies. So <laughs> yeah, that's a whole lot more than I started out. Oh so. my gosh. Well, me too. But I mean, I mean that's light years. Like yeah, that's, and that's what they're having to do to attract them into these smaller areas. Yeah, but, so I'm going to tell I'm going to tell the audience. So we have a lot of younger listeners in the audience, and this is not this is the, this is how old I am, right? But my first job, uh, it, you know, in our practice, I made eighty five thousand dollars a year, and that was five days me. a week. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm I'm younger than you, but yeah, but, I, yeah. but that was five days a week. And in order for me to like make enough money to start paying back my loans faster, you know, I worked an extra day outside of the office. And I even entertained. This is before before I even started anything with you know lecturing and and board certification review or uh, board review for the students. Um, you know, I even I even pondered working seven days a week. Right. Like, do I have to do that to get out of debt and yep. to get me into a different place? And um, so 85 grand. What, what was it for you, Peter? Um, it was it was I think it was 75. Um, and this was yeah. back in okay. 2000. I graduated in 2000. Yeah. But um, I, I was letting the employer keep 10,000 of that as um, as buy in each month um, to eventually become a partner in the practice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a whole I mean. Yeah, we could we could totally discuss the the kind of I'll call them imaginative ways that you can get somebody back into into the yeah. practice. That's yeah. one of them, honestly. Like, 
like, okay, well, I know you're, I know Peter, you know, you're a brand new doc and you can't come out and, and write this big check for the practice, but I want to, I want to be able to offload this practice to somebody. So that's a way to do it for sure. Um, so, okay. So, so then you're, it's almost out of necessity, right? So you, you live in Beaumont, medium sized town. Nobody wants to come into rarely wants to come from a large school in a large city into a smaller or medium sized town. So you're saying, look, we've got patients that we need to see. How are we going to. Yeah. And I had, I had a, um, I, I had what I thought was the perfect candidate. My accountant calls me one day and he goes, Hey, I've got somebody I want you to meet. Let's go to lunch. And, um, I said, okay. And she was a new grad. Um, she was valedictorian, um, which honestly gave me a little bit of pause. Um, uh, because sometimes the ones that are the best in class aren't necessarily the best in clinic. Um, mm-hmm. But she had, uh, she was really smart, had a wonderful personality, um, great um, relationship with patients. And her, she said, look, um, I've known her parents forever. Her parents live here. She's moving back here to be by her parents. Um, she doesn't want to own a practice, but she does want to work full time. Um, and she wants to settle down in Beaumont. And I'm like, oh, this is absolutely perfect. Like, she'll be here forever. And she hired on. She was so excited. And um, things were going great. And about a year later, she came to me and she said, hey, I've got some bad news. My husband got headhunted by a law firm in Houston. And we're moving back to Houston. I was like, no. And she said, but if you drive like me, you could be there in an hour. (laughs) You know, and so... So um, as as we grew later on, as I got um, busier and grew later on, I had I had somebody working for me who was driving two hours from Houston each way. Um, wow. So I've had that as well. But <clears throat> you know, it it it's funny. One of my colleagues called me or texted me and he said, "Hey, I need to talk to you about her. Um, she said, you know, she's on her resume. She used to work for you, and she's applying here at my office in Houston." And I texted him back. I said, well, I I can call you and talk to you at lunch if you want. I said, but my advice is hire her before somebody else does. He said, never mind. We don't need to talk. And she's been with him ever since. And I'm still mad at him about that. But but he's a good friend. Um, But when she left, that was like the third time that it happened in as Mm -hmm. many years. And and it was getting to be very frustrating. And I was like, what am I going to do? And... Um, she had only been there a year, so her schedule wasn't fully booked out and it was a new location and we were building up and I thought, you know what, I'll get a scribe, um, and I'll try to see, you know, for at least a month or so until we can get somebody in here, I'll try to see her patients too. I don't want to cancel her patients and, um, brought somebody in to assist me. And I found I was able to see, um, almost all of her patients. We didn't have to cancel that many. And if I had somebody in the exam room helping me and, and, you know, I remember being in school and, you know, one an hour was hard to do. And I remember getting out of school those first few years and, you know, 20 in a day, you know, I was, I was proud when I got to 20 a day. And, and mm-hmm. I remember having days where I did almost 30 and, you know, my partner and I after work would talk to each other and talk about how busy a day it was seeing, you know, 28, uh, what a busy, busy day it was. And now that's a slow day for me. And, mm-hmm. And the, the big difference I think is just delegation. And so when she left and went to Houston and, and I just had to do it on my own. Um, and I started delegating out a lot of what we as optometrists do on our own, 
um, when we could hire a really good staff member and train a really good staff member to do. When I started delegating that out, I found that that a seeing patients became a lot more enjoyable because I was I was a doctor um, with the patient, not a doctor and a technician with the patient. Mm-hmm. I found it was a whole lot more profitable um, because most docs could see um, could see 50 to 100 percent more patients than they're seeing by delegating out 25 to 50 percent of what they're doing with the patient. And honestly, the patients like it better um, because when you go to your general practitioner's office for a health check you know he's not checking your blood pressure and your height and your weight and when you go to your dentist he's not doing the cleaning and doing x-rays and and all of those things but yet when people come to an optometry office most optometrists think patients expect that and they really don't it was it was kind of eye-opening to me the compliments we got on how more thorough the service was after i started passing stuff off to other people so yeah yeah, I mean, so so the same kind of situation happened to us. Um, my associate, who's been with us now for like six and a half years, almost six and a half years, and she's awesome. Um, and she had twins uh, about two years ago. And um, so it was my dad and I and Lindsay, and then she had twins, and it was the same kind of scenario. I, I went from seeing like a busy day for me would have been 17 patients, and, uh, on the day, my dad was there on Thursday and Friday and I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so I was seeing, my dad wanted to just see his patients. He did, he was on his way out. He was ready to retire soon. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want to see any of her patients and that was fine. But I was like, all right, well, she's got, you know, she's got twins. She's going to basically, I think she was basically off effectively. She, you know, um, was off from like January, uh, more or less till June. And we had all these patients that, that we needed to see. And so I, I didn't want to work another day of the week. I didn't want to come in on a Thursday or Friday and see those patients. I wanted to squeeze them into my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I had a scribe at the time. So it was kind of effective. I could do it. And I almost became a game like, okay, well, how, how, how good can, how many patients can I see? I, we got up to 36. I was seeing 36 patients a day. Now I was busy, super busy uh, for me but we could do it. And the same response to our patients was that, oh yeah, the, like it's thorough exam, you know, it's efficient. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those same kinds of things. And the other thing that you get really good at is, and this is where I think from a school standpoint, it, boy, it is hard for students coming out of school that to understand that you don't do everything. You don't have to take care of every single problem that a patient has during yeah. a, a one exam per year. Problem Your goal is that, yeah, you and I have talked about this before, and I, I've, but, but the the reality is, is that this plagues the profession, and I think it it really it's it it is something that gets ingrained in you during your training, and you can al- almost. I would say probably 80% of us never unlearn this because we're not conscious of it mm-hmm. is that you're the idea is I have to do everything for this patient in one exam, unless it's really bad every time, every, every time. time. Yes. And I got to do all these same things. And my point is, is, is to say that what you realize is that you become much more efficient at saying, okay, well let's, let's find the stuff that is, a, is potentially a problem or is a problem. And, and then that comprehensive exam is just strategizing with the patient on how, when, how far do we go before we check in on this other thing and go and dive deeper into it. 
And that's that actually, from a practice standpoint, was very good for me to, to kind of have to ramp up like that. Um, not because I was doing the other stuff before, but it just shows you like, if we, if you just piecemeal down, cause I don't have the time to, to dive into every single thing I can, I have the time to identify all the stuff, yeah. but then it's more about identifying, discussing with patient planning for what you're going to do to follow up with those other things. And, uh, that's a huge part of ramping up your services as well. We've got a student right now, uh, that, um, it just, it shows me she's great. I mean, she's very competent, but it's great. It's very hard for her to understand. Like, you know, you, you have a question you can't answer, you know, you have a question that you can't figure out the answer to. Okay. Well, what's my differential diagnosis Yep. in those differential diagnoses, which ones are serious that I've got to figure out right now, which ones can I figure out in a week or a month or three months or six months? And, and like, keep the patient safe and also do the right thing by them. Um, and then the right thing by the practice that is so hard, Peter, so it, hard. Yeah. One, one thing I found that, that helped me with that is when I, you know, when I'm looking at a patient and, and dealing with an issue with a patient is, you know, do I know, do I know what this is or do I think I know what this is? And if the answer is yes, okay, you know, let's, all right, let's stop right there and let's try to treat this. And, um, and even if it could be something else, let's treat the obvious thing first. Cause sometimes yeah. you can have think multiple, horses, not zebras, mul multiple diagnoses stacked on top of each other. And as long as you're not, as long as you're not brushing off something life threatening or sight threatening, you know, go ahead and treat what's most obvious. But you know, number, step one, if you think you know what it is, stop right there and treat it. Um, step two, it, you know, as if, if you're not sure what it is, but you, you think you might be able to do some testing to figure it out or something different than schedule that. And step three is if you're just, you have no idea, well, you probably at least know what part of the eye it's in, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I think this is neuro or I think this is retina or I think this is cornea. I don't know what it is. Send them out to somebody who does. Yeah. And, and life got a lot easier when I approached everything like this. Either I know what it is and I'm gonna treat it or I kind of think I know what it might be. Let's do some tests or I don't have a clue. Let me get you to somebody <laughs> who can figure this out. And you're, and that's an, that's a, a little bit of a maturity thing in doctors too, because I think the more experience we have, the more ready we are to admit that we might not know what something is and that we need a second set of eyes on it. So, yeah. And I think, it, it, I think to expand upon those questions that you're asking, it's almost, you know, the, the questions I always ask the student is, okay, well, what's your diagnosis? what's your te tentative diagnosis? <clears throat> what do you want to do about that? Yep. And if you tell me you have no idea, how do you, what can you do to lessen that uncertainty, right? Is yep. there something that you can do? Patient has this symptom or this sign. Is there something you can do? That's basically what you And if you can't, yep. now it's like, all right, I have, I have no idea. But, but the reality is, is that that's you can have a pretty, that. that's a very small percentage. You can yeah. have it. You should have an idea and they all do. The, yep. the, the real challenge is how do you flip that memorization that they had for boards and they, they yep. know, okay, well, you know, Maddox, okay. I got a patient with double vision. Well, there's Maddox rod. There's uh, there is uh, polarized lenses, but, but none of those things actually are. Yeah. But, but like, are you going to do them? Do you know when you're going to do them? Do you actually yes. have a systematic approach to, to identifying them? Or is it just like, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, Maddox, right. That exists. Like, no, no, no. But but how are you going to use it? Um, that is very challenging.
very challenging. You've, you've, got, you've been given a toolbox with your education, and now the trick is to pull out the right tool for the right job um, and, and get the work done. And that, yeah. that can be tricky. Because, you know, they, uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, they want to pull out every tool every single time. Yes. And that takes yes. a whole lot of time. Bingo. It takes You're a never whole lot of time. 50. And it can be very, it can be very inconvenient. So. And it doesn't clarify the, it doesn't clarify the problem. That's the, that's the other thing is that, you know, obviously there's certain things that we're required to do from a comprehensive exam standpoint, contractually from managed vision care, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah. but like outside of that, okay, well, like you said, well, which tool are you going to use? And, and, and when you pick a tool, it's always like, I'm going to do a test because I'm, I'm think it's this, right? You should have an idea about what you're going to gain, the information you're going to gain from a test, as opposed to what you'll see often is, you know, well, I just want to do a macular OCT. A patient's not seeing very well. Let's do a macular OCT. Let's do a optic nerve OCT. Let's do it. It's like, wait, look at their capsule. Right. Look at their posterior capsule. Is it foggy at all? Is their cornea? Do they have any SPK on their cornea? Do they they have any fuchs? Do they have any? I mean, like, let's think about all those things first. Instead of just blasting test after test after test, have an idea about the symptoms and the signs that you're seeing. Uh, Yeah, and just work your way front to back and see what you see, and and then test based on that. All right. So efficiencies. Okay. So you hire a scribe. You realize your efficiencies. Your patients are happier. Um, so that probably gets you to, let's say 30, 35 patients a day. You're Mm -hmm. pulling some triggers. You're pulling some pretty significant levers. If you're 50 a day, that puts what a patient every 10 minutes. So, uh, what we actually did, um, is I, I wanted to make sure that I was making the most of that time and scheduling properly. And so I actually set up two separate schedules. So I had one schedule that was, um, my main schedule and it was every 15 minute comprehensive exams. And then I had a second schedule that was everything else. Um, and, and that was a big help as well because, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you ask doctors, uh, you know, how many patients and PCS we've done practice, um, evals and practice valuations. And so, uh, in the evals, we go in and look at practices and look at their numbers and kind of, you know, help them in, in the past. We did that as we've, we've grown, we've kind of, that's one of the services we don't provide anymore. But in doing that in the past, we would, you know, often ask doctors, how many, um, how many patients, you know, per hour are you seeing? And that number is always like, Oh, I see four an hour or two an hour. But if you run the MBA, um, if you look at the MBA numbers, it's 1.16 and everybody's like, no, I see more than one. Everybody. Yeah. The average is, and everybody's like, no, I see more than 1.16. Well, you may schedule more than that, but there's, you know, you, you've got to end them early at the end of the day so that you're, you know, you can't schedule up till 5 PM because those patients have to get worked up and put in a room and seen and through the optical and out the door. And so, you know, there's some gaps there. You also need a lunch. Um, also, um, some of those patients are going to cancel. Some are going to no show. And then also you're going to have, um, spec checks back. You're going to have contact lens checks back. You're going to do uh, glaucoma pressure checks. Um, you're going to have patients come in with foreign bodies. So you start adding all that in, and that's how that number whittles down to, um, that's how that number whittles down to about 1.16. And I didn't want that because I, you know, in just from a, a purely practice economic standpoint, your most valuable patient is going to be your comprehensive exam um, because those are just from a numbers perspective. 
um, those are the ones that are going to um, generate the most revenue typically in your practice. You may, there may be, you know, like some ortho K patients and um, dry eye patients and things like that, that'll kind of outpace those, those other numbers. But um, in general, your comprehensives are your most valuable patients in the practice. But at the same time, I wanted to practice full scope and I wanted to see all the medical cases. And so that was my second schedule was, we called it um, problems, fits and follow-ups. And so that was, um, and so we had one schedule that was comprehensive and one that was problem fits and follow ups. And then as we kept refining that process more and more, we created a third schedule and that was a special mm -hmm. testing schedule and it was scheduled under my staff member. And so I didn't have to anymore, um, didn't have to put those, those special tests on my schedule. We put them on my staff member's schedule and then she, um, and this goes back to training, but she was so well trained that, you know, she would do all the testing and then she would pull up the chart and she would do an a tentative interpretation and report. We had a form for it. And a lot of that stuff is straightforward. Like your tech can absolutely sure. like, why is the patient here? Well, that should be um, on the order in the previous exam or on the chief complaint. So they can put that in. Well, they know the date, they know the test they did. Um, and they know the reliability of the test. It's right there on most of the tests, you know, eight out of 10 on an OCT or, you know, you know, 2% fixation loss, whatever on a visual field. So they can start putting that in. They know the um, cooperation of the patient because they're the ones that worked with the patient. And so by the time they've put all that in, which is just data, it, there's no, there's no brain power really behind that. It's just data. It's the then, technical component of the test, right? The yeah, TC that, and not the two six. Exactly. That's that's yeah. all there. So then, you know, what's left is assessment and plan. Well, you know, when when you've got a really well trained tech, I told her, have fun, take a shot at it, yeah. see what you think it is. And you know, if they had large cups and it's all red on the OCT and there's peripheral loss on the visual field, well, she's going to write in, you know, you know, uh, glaucomatous optic atrophy as the assessment and plan. Like she knows, I'm usually going to start with the prostaglandin analog, and she would try to put that in. And then, you know, of course, that's up on the screen when I come in, and that's totally for me to look and review and and write over and. But when she got it right, I'd be like, hey, you did a great job, and she was, you know, really proud of herself. And when she got it wrong, I'd say, oh, hey, you were close, but this, and I would show mm -hmm. her. And that, that it, she really enjoyed doing that, and it made my job so much faster because eight times out of ten, I'm like, hey, you got this right. And I just, you know, save it and turn and talk to the patient. And so I spend my time talking with the patient. And all those patients never even went in an exam room. Um, they stayed in the special testing room, mm -hmm. and I would come in there and charts on the screen, review the chart real quick, talk with the patient real quick. Um, and then an, another thing that we did is we actually turned the scribe into an assistant. And because I found that, that if your techs are doing a really good workup, the majority of your documenting is in your history. Um, yeah. and you can, a lot of times with, with, um, crystal, my favorite practice management software and affinity, um, you can, a lot of times, uh, automate your assessment and planning. And so that part's fast. And so really the only part that you've got left that takes some time to fill in is the refraction. Well, you don't need two hands to do a refraction. And so I'm literally typing in the refraction as I'm refracting, you know, on the refraction screen. And, and so there's not a whole lot of documentation that I have to do. So when I'm finished, I can talk with a patient, didn't really need a scribe. Where I found it was really useful is we put a pager system in all the lanes 
And as I'm getting near the end, about to do my recap with the patient, um, I hit the pager. The tech comes in and they know to just open the door, stand there quietly. And they know that if I need, you know, I'm, hey, I'm going to start this patient on drops. Would you check the cabinet? They'll go check the cabinet for drops and coupons and, um, and, or if, um, you know, if the, this patient's ready for contact lenses, I'm going to, uh, jot note on the routing slip and they're going to take the patient to contacts and pull contacts and then find a contact lens tech to give the patient to. And then I'm on to the next room. And, and so I found that having an assistant like that was super helpful. And then, you know, if it's a patient that I'm having, you know, trouble getting them to hold their eye open for foreign body, I can hit the button and they're going to come in and help hold the patient's eye open. Um, you know, I found it was even easier to have a tech in for inserting membranes than to use a speculum, um, and just have the tech hold Mm, the eye open while we put the membrane on a trick I learned from uh, Craig Thomas. Uh, he said he he started doing it because he was abrading um, corneas uh, occasionally with a speculum or knocking a you know knocking a bandage lens loose with a speculum, uh, but it you know I just whatever it, it, I needed the um, needed the assistant for press the button and then a lot of education we say it over and over and over um, you know if patient needs cataract surgery like hey you need you need uh, cataract surgery. Um, not a big deal. Outpatient procedure takes 15 minutes. I'm going to have my assistant talk to you about the center we use, why we like them, and answer any questions you have. And that takes some training. There, that assistant's going to have to sit with you on several visits. It's probably really good to send the assistant to the surgery center, get them shown around, and have them take a tour. But when you do things like that, you can pass off so much education to the assistant. And then fee presentation. I found um, for dry eye, when I was trying to talk to patients about lipoflow and why they need to come back for, you know, mm-hmm. thermal pulsation therapy or anything like that, if I talked to them, you know, probably 20% acceptance rate. If I said, hey, you need to have some stuff done, I'm going to have my assistant talk to you. And I had created a form in Crystal and I would check off what they needed, print that out. The assistant would see that print out um, and come in the room. And I was, you know, uh, Shannon's going to talk to you about all that. And I walk out of the room, the rate shot up to like 50, 60% acceptance rate. Yeah. Um, doctors patients are don't generally want their, very patients bad don't at want their, Yes. <laughs> yeah. And patients don't want that either. I think, I think we, you know, again, like uh, I've got a couple other questions for you that I'm just struggling with in general. Um, and I know that some of our listeners will struggle with some others that I have, but we have this sense in a lot of cases that are like that we need to talk about money with certain things, but not others. Mm-hmm. So one is like, you know, you send a patient out and they've got, they pick out a new pair of glasses and lenses and it costs this much money. The, you don't expect that you're going to tell a patient how much their glasses and, and spectacle lenses are going to cost. You don't expect that. Yeah. But for some reason, when we transition to Lipaflow or IPL or, you know, anything else, we, we feel like this, like, I got to tell you. Or non-covered, that's, non-covered yeah. medically necessary services. Even. Right, right. And patients, and, and that's weird. And and patients don't expect it, and it's not comfortable for the doctors. And it's not, I mean, of course, if a patient yeah. asks you that question, you can answer it. But but we have this pull to be like, you know, it's gonna, I'm going to over-explain this because it's different. It's not, it's not any different than selling a pair of glasses from a standpoint of how you should manage it in your practice, I think. And, uh, and the other thing that we make. I think that's a key that word too, the over explain. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what le- having less time with the patient will have is like, you, you can't over explain cause I have to be more efficient. I have to choose my words precisely. And so I yep. can't simply just keep going and going and going and, and the patients don't find value in that. And so actually I want to, I want to ask you a question because I do feel like this sense of, I want to, um, if I were going to ramp back up to 36 patients a day or 40 patients a day, mm-hmm. um, I would have to, ask my patients a lot less personal questions related to just how they're doing and what's going on in their lives. Uh, I worry about that. How do you manage that? Yeah. Yeah. And that is, um, you know, I I do find myself at times, um, you know, especially if I'm a little behind, you know, you get the, you know, that one 90 year old patient that's on, you know, 14 different medicines and um, can't hear and speak Spanish only. Um, (laughs) And, you know, now you're trapped in there for a long time and you go out and now there's four or five charts waiting for you. And, right. you know, so I get that where I feel like I'm rushing through it and don't have time to talk. Um, but, you know, it is it is nice to, to talk and, and visit with the patients. And, you know, how's your um, you know, how's your uh, husband doing? Um, you know, how um, how's the kid? Did your kid get married? Um, you know, yesterday, one of my daughter's best friends, um, my daughter's, you know, gone and moved away and and. Um, and her, and this other uh, this her one of her best friend's mom came in, and so we were both talking about the girls, um, and so you know it's nice to be able to have that time to visit as well, and it's, it's got to be a balance, but you know I find the more I delegate to the staff, the more time I have just in general with patients, and really I think as a doctor you need to do the mo- the minimal amount of data gathering that you can. Correct. Um, you, you minimal amount, let your staff do that. Um, train the staff. We, and, and I've referenced that a couple of times now and to kind of complete that out, you know, our, we had a bonus system and you were not eligible to get a monthly bonus. It was a collection base based on great game of business, but you weren't eligible to participate unless you were um, certified in something. And it could be uh, ABO for opticians and lab people. And then it could be uh, Jacopo for techs and it could be AOA and, but you had to be certified in something. And then once you got certified, we, um, pr- we, we framed your certificate and put it on the wall beside your photo. Um, and you were now eligible to participate in the bonus system and bonuses could be sometimes 500 a month for every mm-hmm. staff member. And so they were very motivated to get certified and, and stay certified. And so we had really well-trained staff. And we would, we would, we had a training process and documents and, and we would go through and train them to do things. And, and we'd have somebody who knew how to, myself or somebody who knew how to do it really well, teach them to do it. We'd have them observe us doing it. And then we'd observe them doing it. And then eventually when we felt comfortable, we'd let them do it. But we just, we, we, um, we delegated out everything that we could and, um, and then we got software that was as efficient as possible and made sure everything was documented well. And so essentially I'm going in a room and I'm reviewing the history with the patient. I'm reviewing the chart. Um, I'm doing a refraction and I'm doing a slit lamp exam. And, yeah. um, and that's pretty much it. And so because I'm doing so little data gathering, um, I have time to talk to the patient about, you know, what's going on in their life. And I have time to talk to them about the problems and, and it, it kind of balances out because if somebody comes in with a lot of problems, they really don't want to talk about 
their kids, right, you know, right. last soccer game. They want to talk about, you know, you know, why does this eye hurt so bad? It feels like there's a lash in it. They want to talk about that. Well, you've got time to talk about it. Um, right. And if everything's fine, you know, I mean, if it's a, you know, a, a 45-year-old that you saw last year who's successfully wearing a, a soft multifocal and you're going to bump it a quarter in one eye, I mean, and everything else is healthy, you know, that's a, a two-minute refraction and maybe two or three minutes um, you know, looking in the eye, well, you still got, even if you're doing 10 minute exams, you know, you've still got five, six minutes to just visit and chat about anything. And so that the more you delegate, the more time you create for yourself. And, um, and I tried to, I tried to have it where all I was doing was refraction and internals and externals. Um, and, and I was really even thinking about, um, getting like an automated refracting system so that we could, um, we could even speed that up even more. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. One of the challenging things with patients is when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and and customized lenses, it can be challenging to keep those lenses clean, keep them scratch-free, smudge-free. And so we now have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients the best-in-class anti-reflective coating in a way that is really high resistance so that they're not uh, having to care for their lenses as much as when those lenses are caring for them. So remember that you can provide patients that best-in-quality, best-in-class transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com slash Crizal. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are great tips. Um, The last question I'll ask you then is the the, the other thought I think a lot of listeners are going to have related to this is, look, Peter, this is going to require more staff. And it's hard for me to find new people who want to do these kinds of tasks. So where are you going to find them? What, what's your answer to that? It, it is hard um, to, to staff up. Um, we, you know, we always posted on a, like a local site. A lot of communities have, you know, sites for, you know, classifieds and job seeking and stuff like that. And that worked really well for us. And 
and we kind of had a tiered approach where the you know first round we looked at the resumes and set aside the ones that we um, didn't like called the ones we liked with a phone interview and then the ones that did well on the phone interview would come in for an in-person interview and then the ones the office manager liked would get a second interview with me and then the office manager and I would independently come up with our with our ratings and by doing that <clears throat> um, we generally that process helped us hire people that were really good and then one of the keys to keeping people that are really good because it's hard right now is mm -hmm. treating people like you'd want to be treated um, mm -hmm. and we tried to be very flexible on policy we tried to have employee first policies um, my goal was to pay them base salary more than any other eye care practice in the area base salary and give them a bonus on top of that and that meant my payroll costs were a little higher um, sure. You know, instead of running 20%, we're running 22, 23%. But like turnover was almost non-existent in our office. We, um, you know, um, we had one of our, probably one of our shortest people there was like two years. And, you know, we had several that were there five years or more, several that were there 10 years or more. Um, you know, we also just try to do nice things for people, and we we try to you know think about um, think about things from their perspective. If there's bad weather, you know, do we really really need to be open in in bad weather? Can we just let them have the day off? And uh, you know, I'm sure that's a, a issue you, mean you rain? face quite. A you mean bit. rain? <laughs> rain and a little bit of ice. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, if we get a little bit of rain and ice, it's you know it's the wild west out here. Like yeah, yeah in texas like lose their minds it's um it you know there was a when it when in the i when there was uh sub 20 temperatures two weeks ago um the street where my street hits the highway that overpass iced over and there was a 40 car pile up oh at my basically gosh. the end of my street fortunately no one was seriously injured but there's actually a video on um facebook of a 18-wheeler going over the overpass, turning sideways and sliding sideways, and then straightening it back up um, just to plow into the um, entire group of cars that were there. It's, when you see that, and you see one of the cars just get, yeah, just get totally crunched. Um, mm. It's really scary, but fortunately, no one injured. But yeah, so Texans are not good in the ice. Uh, I know, <laughs> I know where you're at. You do need the day off. So, yeah. No, I think, so, yeah, I think those it's, are all it's really about good. treating them right. You know, by, yeah, I agree. When it was somebody's birthday, we bought a cake um, every time. And um, and when the office was smaller, we'd, we'd close for lunch, take them all out to lunch. Um, you know, we'd try to do team retreats. We'd try to have fun nights. Um, one of the things that I think was the most effective is every now and then my optician would come to me and she'd go, it's a rough day. Can we get coffee? And I'd pull up my business card. I'd go get the orders, go get coffee for everybody and stop at the cupcake place. And she'd come back with, you know, 14 coffees and 28 cupcakes. And, you know, suddenly it's a little bit better day. And, yeah. um, and it's just, if you treat them right, you'll retain them. And then if you get them trained and let them do stuff, most employees really enjoy instead of just taking a history and moving on to the next one, they like to do those tests. They like to feel like they have some value in the process. And the more I hand it off to them, the more they enjoy that. And we had very loyal employees. It's it's a little harder post COVID, but, um, but it can be done. 
Yeah, I think I think all of those points are really great and really important. And and I, I mean, I'll add one other thing is like what you're talking about. I, we've never had a hard time hiring technicians. Those are relatively, uh, I would say, easy to hire, but you can find really good people that want to do that work. The harder one I've always found has been the opticians. And oh, yeah. for some reason, I think that just the technical aspects of being an optician and selling, you know, if you take managed vision care, selling one pair of glasses yep. three or four different ways yep. to, based on the managed vision care uh, plan, that's really hard. And and so anyway, that's a whole other conversation. And that, that but, takes that take. Yeah, that'd be a whole different topic. <clears throat> you know, I just had this conversation in practice management class. I said, really, as, as a doctor, you kind of have a neat, as an eye doctor, you have a neat benefit of being able to have a second business in your office. Um, you know, one business, which you're training for is to be a doctor. And then a second business, you get to help people with these eyewear products. Um, the problem is now you've got to manage that as well. And mm -hmm. most of us aren't great at that because it's a retail business. And essentially yeah. that's what you're doing is you're marrying a service business, a, a, a medical care service business with a retail business. And it can be done well, but it, it's tricky. And those opticians are hard to find. When you do find somebody that's good, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier was remote workers. And, um, and <clears throat> if you find somebody that's good in one area, but their job could maybe be given to a remote worker, you could promote them and move them into an area where they might be more effective in the practice and then pass off their job to a remote worker. So that's an option as well, um, because it's, it is, it is getting so tough to hire people. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Peter, thanks for coming on and talking today. You and I are going to do you and I, and, and Joe and I, the plan is to do a lot more of these types of discussions. Cause I think they're really helpful. We'll have plenty of time to talk about some of those other topics. Um, so tell everybody where they can find you and um i'll let you take it from there yeah thank it's been a real pleasure you're uh you're a great host and uh somebody that's a lot of fun to just have a conversation with uh in general um <clears throat> but uh practice compliance solutions helps uh practices comply with healthcare regulations uh in the areas of hipaa which everybody's familiar with osha um, fraud and abuse, which is correct uh, billing and coding guidelines, uh, which is which is why we kind of tie in so well with with iCode, um, and then um, <clears throat> we also do uh, HR uh, compliance as well. And so uh, we, we can be found online at pcscomply.com, and uh, we have uh, packages there for all of those major. Uh, compliance areas and we try to make it as simple as possible we offer an option where um, you can kind of do it yourself and you read a uh, management training module really short simple written in plain English answer some questions about your practice and show the staff some videos and the app records all that, creates all your documents, does everything for you. And then, as you're familiar with, um, we can also come to your office. You get Joe and BJ, um, and sometimes yep. me, in the office, and we'll inspect your office. Um, we'll do it um, in a, it. We'll do it like an angry, upset auditor might do it, um, but with a smile on our faces. And then, instead of asking you to uh, um, write a big check or putting you in handcuffs, um, we'll tell you. Um, how to correct the issues that we see in your office and and get you compliant and keep you there awesome well peter, dr peter cast thanks so much for being on i appreciate it yeah it was great i enjoyed it chris mm -hmm.